Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today my guest is one of the rising stars of the California Democratic Party, Congressman Robert Garcia of Long Beach. Garcia is the first LGBTQ immigrant elected to Congress, and he's made a name for himself since taking office this year. His peers elected him president of his freshman class of House members, the first gay person to hold that position. He's one of the more authentic members of Congress you'll hear from. He was sworn into office while placing his hand on the Constitution and a Superman comic book, among other things. On the day we spoke, instead of wearing a congressional lapel pin like most members do, he was wearing a Superman logo pin. He explains why during our chat. On the more serious side, he's been an outspoken advocate for LGBTQ rights, pushing back hard on Republican attacks on trans kids and on drag shows. In fact, the first time I met Garcia was a couple of years ago when he was mayor of Long Beach and he was hosting a drag queen event in honor of Senator and now Vice President Kamala Harris. We talk about how Democrats should respond to those attacks. We also talk about why he's been out front in calling for the ouster of New York Congressman and alleged serial liar George Santos. Why is that his job? He lives 3,000 miles away from Santos's district. Aren't there enough things to worry about in California? We spoke last week while we were both at the California Democratic Party convention in Los Angeles. We started by talking about his thoughts on the issue of transgender student-athletes and how the GOP is weaponizing the issue. I think that we have tried to be a country where we're moving forward and there's always progress, but it it does definitely feel like we are moving backwards as it relates to these rights. And I think that it's really important for progressives and for those that believe in just like basic decency and humanity, they really call it out. I think it's really especially important for folks within the community like myself that we have to constantly call it out and remind folks that these are communities that are under attack right now. And so we got to organize. We got to remind ourselves that the gay rights movement started as a protest and people have got to get out during prides, during marches, and not just celebrate diversity and inclusion, but we got to get a little bit and put a little bit more fight back into the movement. And I think that's something you're seeing right now. One of the things that seems to be resonating is the sports issue. What do you say to people who say, well, you know, what about trans women playing sports? I think it's it's totally, in my opinion, a ridiculous argument. And it's you are more likely in this country or as a child to get shot up in a school by a mass shooter than to have your child play on a sport with a trans kid. So we have our priorities wrong here. And I think that this idea that somehow these kids are are dangerous, I think is just awful. These are young kids. All they're trying to do is play a sport that they love, they have every right to learn about teamwork as everybody else. And another thing that's become oddly political, especially for those of us who live in big cities in California and across the country, are drag shows. Yeah, I know. You've, you've embraced <laughs> drag culture. In fact, I think the first time I met you was at a Long Beach convention a few years ago when you hosted a drag show for in honor of our now Vice President Kamala Harris. How should those who support drag culture, and or at least aren't freaked out by it, 
explain it to their fellow Americans. First, I think people need to remember, drag has been around for a long time. Very long time. It's not a time. new thing. Drag is also an art form. I mean, drag queens consider themselves artists. I mean, these are folks that essentially are performing. They're, they've created a character. They're performing. And yes, sometimes drag can be for adult audiences, just like other forms of art can be for adult audiences. And other times, drag can be very inclusive and could be in all ages and could be funny and could be you know, really sweet and, and, and different. And so drag is an art. There are different types of drag artists, just like in any type of art. And this attack on drag is awful. And, and, and you've seen some of these artists just be attacked and the constant harassment by folks. Again, this is an extreme far-right ideology that is just hell-bent on moving us backwards and, and destroying the country. And what it really is, an attack on, on queer and gay people. We're not going to allow conservatives to separate out trans and queer people from the LGBTQ plus community. And that's what's happening right now. There's a lot of conservative activists that are saying, oh, it's okay to be gay or lesbian. Now that you all have rights, you worked so hard and we have, we, you know, we can't stop you. It's okay to be gay and lesbian and maybe even bisexual. But if you want to be trans or if you're queer or you're, or you're a drag queen or you're another part of this community – then we're going to separate that out. And we're, we got to push back on that. It's all or nothing. We're, we're one community. What do you think is at the root of that? Because, you know, polls show that now a majority of Republicans are supportive of same-sex marriage and such, which would seem unimaginable even 10 years ago. What's at the root of this? Is this raw politics or, or what? Well, I definitely think that the Republican Party is absolutely using this as a political tool. I mean, that's true. We know that to be true. And so they're hyping up the issue to try to win political points at the expense of a marginalized group. Separately of that, I think there are a lot of people in this country, and I think Donald Trump in many ways kind of opened up this Pandora's box of, of folks that had maybe controversial opinions or had opinions that were either, either racist or either homophobic or, or other types of, of, of things that you know folks would, would keep to themselves. And He's basically told folks that it's okay to say these awful things and to be awful and to be cruel and has made it popular. And so now you've seen this kind of rise of folks going out and making these attacks. And I think we're living through a product of some of his destruction and we got to keep pushing back on it. Have you had any conversations with your more conservative fellow house members, have they pulled you aside and said, hey, what's, explain to me what's going on? Or have you had any, it's anyone sort of frankly asked you or have you had any explanatory conversations with anyone? No, I mean, my rule about the House as a freshman member is if you are a Republican House member and you don't respect my basic humanity as a person, then I really have zero interest in working with you. And so like, that's a, a real basic that you need to meet for me, right? And so- So you just don't talk? I don't talk to the homophobes in the in, in the House. There are Republicans that I think are definitely more, more moderate and certainly on LGBTQ issues are in a better place. But I mean, you had, I think what the entire Republican conference or uh, almost the entire conference, I think it was all maybe about one or all vote for that trans bill, that anti-trans youth bill. I mean, that's, that's sick. And, and I think that, that I really feel bad for these kids and these families who are just trying to survive. You know, these are the kids, same kids that have higher suicide rates. These are the same kids that have higher uh, and a harder time getting by in school, and yet we're going to add this additional burden on them. It's not right. 
All right, let's let's talk about uh, some more raw politics. Sure, uh, you are have not yet endorsed in the Senate race in in uh, California. Many Californians are many California Democrats are just like you; they are undecided. Uh, well, <laughs> publicly publicly undecided. What is going to help you? Unless you want to break make some news here today, what is going to help you decide who to choose between uh, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, and Adam Schiff? They all have very similar on the issues. Yeah, I mean, look. I, first, I will say that I have an enormous respect for all three of them, and all three would make great U.S. senators, and they have a lot of respect across the state and in, in Congress, especially. And so, I I really really care for all three. I, I do expect to be involved in this race. I am typically someone that likes to get engaged in campaigns, and so I do plan in the in the weeks ahead to do that. And but I think all three are fantastic and would all make good U.S. senators. Shortly before we started chatting, Barbara Lee, I ran into her in the hotel across the street, and she said, why do you keep talking about my age? And I said, well, I mean, some voters have concerns about it. People love Barbara Lee. She's, she's my congresswoman, and she's been on the podcast many times. But th- that is a concern, especially in light of Senator Feinstein, President Biden, former President Trump. Is that a legitimate thing to have age or gender or race or geography? for that matter, be a factor in, in this race when, you know, there's the folks on the issues are, are largely similar. Look, I think that as long as someone can perform their duties, regardless of what their age is, I think, I don't know that it matters. I do think that with age also comes wisdom and comes experience. And I don't think that should be discounted. And I think this is true for, for the president. I mean, a lot of folks say, well, the president's a little, you know, concerned or worried about his age. And I view it as an advantage. I'm grateful that he's had decades of experience as a senator, vice president of the United States for eight years, president for four. I think you know you only get that type of experience with age, and he clearly has the experience and the wisdom. And so I, it's not an issue for me. I think where it's the inflection point for someone has to be, can they perform their duties? I think that's where it matters. Speaking of being able to perform their duties, two-thirds of California voters now think Senator Feinstein's not fit to serve. of Democrats think she should resign. This is a poll that I'm sure you saw that came out a couple of days ago. You are a person who's not shy about expressing their opinion. Do you think she should resign? I think that she should do what she believes in the best interest of the state and that that's a decision between her and her doctors. I have not seen Senator Feinstein since I've been in Congress personally. She's on the Senate side. So I, I can't speak to how she's doing. I think that, you know, her doctors, she needs to be guided by the advice of her doctors. Senator Feinstein is a California icon. She's done incredible work for women, for the LGBTQ plus community. And I, and I absolutely wish her well. Young Democrats are not excited at all about voting for President Joe Biden for re-election. Congressman Robert Garcia explains why they should be after this break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We return to our conversation with Long Beach Congressman Robert Garcia. 
you are a uh, you've led the fight to kick uh, Congressman George Santos out of the House. Now, I I don't think you're going to get many arguments from people about that he should be out, given all that's uh, transpired with him allegedly and, and and not allegedly. But why is why is this your fight? You're you're a guy from the other side of the country. You're you're a Democrat. Shouldn't some New Yorker be doing this? Or are you are you did you lose a bet or something? Or what's going on here? <laughs> I think a couple things. One is, you know, I am a uh, freshman member like he is. We're both freshmen. I got to know him through that process. He happens to be Latino and gay. And I look at someone like George and it just makes me incredibly both sad and angry that he can look at people in the eye and complete, completely fabricated his entire life story. You know, someone's story and what you present to voters is important. His voters didn't vote for the George Santos that he is. They voted for some strange fabrication that he created on the campaign trail. And so I think that is not, that's not right. It's not, shouldn't be accepted. When I became a US citizen and I was in my 20s, early 20s, I took that very seriously. I took that oath very seriously. And being in Congress, it means something to swear allegiance to our country. And so to see a complete fraudster, a serial fraudster, disregard that, something that is a solemn obligation, is not, it doesn't, doesn't fly with me. And so I'm going to continue to call out folks like George Santos like Marjorie Taylor Greene for their complete disrespect of our country. And I think more people need to do it as well. Do you think someone like Santos brings down uh, other Latino or gay candidates? Of course. I mean, first of all, I, I mean, the fact that George Santos is, is LGBTQ is, is, bo is both angering and, and heartbreaking. And, and I think that he needs to resign. Besides a 13-count indictment of everything from theft of public funds to campaign finance issues, He's already admitted to lying and to defrauding people. He's publicly admitted that he actually committed a serious crime and crimes in Brazil. So how does someone that's already publicly admitted and to these crimes still he's allowed to roam around the Congress and get classified information? He has access to classified information. That's not okay. I want to get your take on this. This is your first death ceiling battle. I'm sure you've watched many of them yes. from afar. For many Americans, it seems, you know, like a lot of posturing and scaremongering and frankly, bullshit. We know that the dire circumstances of what could happen if we don't lift the debt ceiling. But what have you seen that's most alarming about this process from the inside from the first time? I mean, what's been the most alarming is is really this kind of manufactured crisis on, on the Republican side. That raising the debt ceiling is not controversial. We did it multiple times when Donald Trump was president. It's basically paying your credit card. I mean, it's paying your debts. And you, you got to pay your debts. And that's something that we all learn as, you know, as kids and young people. And so the fact that then you want to link paying our debts to spending and budget decisions and future budget decisions, one has nothing to do with the other. And they shouldn't be linked. I think it's unfortunate that they are. You know, we shouldn't have this routine debt ceiling debate. It's really a manufactured debate. And do you get the sense that members, yes, they, they members, know it's, I mean, even on do. the other side of the aisle. They, they, I think I think everyone kind of knows it's great, but I, I think especially within like the progressive caucus and like, you know, my like progressive colleagues, we feel like this is incorrectly linked to 
other budget discussions. Right. The polls show that that young voters, particularly young Democrats, are not excited about voting for Joe Biden. He needs them. Young voters helped put him over the top last time. And you're an advisory committee for Biden, one of an exclusive number of people across the country who are doing that, advising him. How do you convince young people to vote or, or to, you know, <laughs> to vote for Joe Biden, but to get excited about him? I think a couple of things. I think one is they voted for him in the last election for president. They're going to do it again. The stakes are too high. Young people want a future where climate justice is here and actively being supported by this Congress and by the White House. I think young people want to have their student debt canceled. Young people want to see their roads and bridges fixed. You know, young people want billionaires and millionaires to pay their fair share of taxes. And these are issues that young people care about. We've got to communicate it better. And it's going to be up especially to those of us that are, you know, these kind of next generation Democrats in the party. We're going to have to go out there and talk to younger people, talk to folks that are trying to make that decision about who to support. And that's going to be important. Issues also around civil rights and LGBTQ plus rights are going to be important. And there's only going to be one candidate in that presidential race that's going to deliver on those things. We're going to essentially, regardless of who is the other nominee, whether it's a basically fascist like Ron DeSantis, or whether it is the biggest con man and liar in the history of politics, Donald Trump, one of those two men will you know, likely be the nominee. And the contrast will be so clear. I mean, we either vote for an authoritarian dictator that is going to roll back rights for young women, young people that will burden them with you know endless debts that will take their hard work and, and money that they worked towards and essentially redistribute it to the wealthy. We're going to make that contrast. And the, like, like the president said before, and I agree, he is a bridge to the next generation. So let's get him reelected. There's a lot of Democrats out there that are going to take up the mantle and we'll go from there. And Congressman, I, I would I know this is a podcast, but I would be remiss in noting that most members of Congress, when I meet them, they've been on the podcast, they wear a congressional lapel pin. You are wearing a Superman logo <laughs> pin. I know you have a, tell us about that. You, you're, you are no, a big I fan of Superman. I don't really wear my congressional lapel pin. You know? I think it's really gaudy. <laughs> Personally, for me, I don't, I, I wear it when I, I, when I have to go into the house to vote. Right. Um, Otherwise, I don't wear it. I yeah. notice actually a lot of people, a lot, a lot wear, of people it. wear it on the street. They wear it to the airport. I usually, when I see people, everyone's wearing their pins and I take mine off the second that <laughs> I don't need it anymore. I, I, it's not, I just don't like it. Clarify this because I know there was when, when you were sworn in, there was some sort of semi controversy is it, it, yeah, yeah, a yeah. silly controversy. When you swore in to become a member of Congress, what were the publications you yeah, swore I mean, in? Yeah, obviously on? everyone gets sworn in on a Bible or most people. And I chose to get sworn in on a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a cop, a vintage copy of Superman number one from the 1930s, my naturalization certificate when I became, a, you know, when I became a citizen, and a copy of a photo of my of my mom, my stepdad, who of course passed away from COVID. So it was a collection of things I cared about, and I think that at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm not. Now, I'm a, I'm a person of faith, but I'm not swearing allegiance to the Bible or to Christianity or to Catholicism, which is how I grew up. I'm I'm going to swear allegiance to the Constitution, and I think that that's something that more people need to do. Congressman Robert Garcia, thank you for being on. It's all political on ha- Fifth ha- Admission. Happy to be here as a uh, very reliable and 
committed subscriber to the oh we, oh, we love hearing that. We, we love hearing that. Okay. Thanks so much. <laughs> thank you. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your family are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Congressman Robert Garcia for joining me today. Props to Gary Baca for editing this episode. And as always, to the King, King Kaufman, for producing it. And remember, whether you get sworn in on the Bible or a comic book, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.